Welcome to the podcast, Meet My Potential, where Deepa chats with leaders around the world once a week or simply shares her insights. This podcast is for those who aspire to meet their highest inner potential. Each episode brings you one simple tool that you can apply at work or in life. Hello and welcome to this episode on Why Do We Go to Work? Today I have with me Susie Lewis. Susie is British and she's been living in Toulouse for the last 20 years. She has worked in large organizations for a very long time and she has run international transformation programs. Today she helps organizations transform and bring more value and bring more meaning to their life. Welcome Susie. Thank you. Thank you Deepa. So, why do we go to work? I think that's the million dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> So why why do we go to work? I would like to say to do what we love, to make a difference. Yeah. I think there are various types of answers to that question. And all too often it's to make money, to be able to live, and because that's what you're meant to do. Right. Too often when I ask people, why do you go to work? They look surprised at me and they say, well, I have to pay my bills and I have to go to work. (laughs) Yeah. And so what happens when you go to work with that perspective of, I have to pay my bills and I need money to survive. And that's exactly why I go to work. I think the stereotypical reply to that is, oh, I can't hit the snooze button again. I've got to get up and I've got to go, even if I don't want to. And that sentence translates many things for me. It translates, it's just a means to an end. So I go, I'm expected there at nine, I leave at five. I'll sit at my desk, I'll do what I want. While I'm waiting to find out what people expect of me, I'll get it done and then I'll go home. So in terms of motivation, I think the people are motivated to go there because they'll get paid at the end of the month. There's no real engagement and there's no real sense of purpose or meaning as to why they're sat there doing what they're doing. Exactly. And I guess it's not a black and white answer of do I go to work to get paid or like, do I have that sense of attitude? I think there are many scales and many degrees to that. It could even be a different version. Like I go there, I do exactly what I need to do. And I give ideas to the limit that I can swallow. Yeah. And then I think you have the, like you say, it's clearly uh, on a scale. It's a very black and white answer that I'm giving. And there are variations on a theme, many. Um, But I think you have the other end of the scale, which is, I love what I do. I get up, I go to work because I'm excited about what I can do in that workplace. And I'm excited about the results I can create both individually and collectively. So I think there are those two extremes, you know, and lots in between. (laughs) So where does the other extreme look like? Can you give an example? There, There are two examples because I think it depends what you do. One of my biggest anecdotes around that end of the scale is my mother who uh, is a very successful surgeon and she loves helping people and it's her vocation. And for 40 years before she retired, every day I remember her saying, oh, I wonder what I'm going to find today. Can't wait to get to work. (laughs) And and she loved it, but she she was there to help people. That was her passion and she wanted to go. And even after 30 years and even after 40 years, she was like, wow, I wonder what I'm going to find today. And, and it, was a, it was a real discovery for her every day. I think if I take a non-vocational, a non-vocational job, which doesn't mean that the purpose is any smaller, mm-hmm. let's take myself. When I, when I get up, it's like, cool, I wonder who I'm going to meet today. I wonder what change I'm going to make. I wonder what impact I'm going to have. And I'm going to meet loads of different situations and people. I love that. 
Wow. So you're alive five days a week. Yes. So what comes in the way of having that sense of purpose and meaning when we go to work? So I, I feel like saying other people, but, but that can also be a source of inspiration. I think um, organizational culture can get in the way of that. And by that, I mean the codes of, of the culture and how the system recognizes people and how the system works. So you can very easily have a purpose statement from an organization. You can have values that are built with people in the organization through focus groups or crowdsourcing or whatever. But then organizational culture means that people work in silos and they don't necessarily want to talk to each other. And let's be clear, not everybody wants to go to work as we've already established. So I think that can put a dampener on motivation and also make people feel like uh, they cannot fulfill their purpose. Mm -hmm. So what are some of those concrete things that we see as part of the codes of the organizational culture that come in the way? It's the top level of the Edgar Schein model around what he calls artifacts, but it's essentially, so the dress code, how things are done around here. So let me extrapolate a little bit on that. It's where you go for lunch, what time you go for lunch, who you're seen with, how busy you are, whether you have an assistant and everything has to go through your assistant because you're too busy, whether you have a company car, there are lots of different definitions of codes of culture. And I'm defining culture as the way we think, act and interact. So, you know, they become implicit. And okay, now we're in a data-driven world. But before that, it was even, you know, if you had a BlackBerry, you were a certain level of the organization. If you had a Nokia, you were a different level of the organization. So there are implicit codes in the organization that indicate what level you are and therefore what freedom you have uh, to move within that organization or to influence within that organization. And I think that in itself can squash purpose and creativity. So ideas, the way ideas are enrolled? Yeah, the way ideas are enrolled and also, you know, how visibly you put those ideas out to the organization. Um, I think that's changing massively now with two things, so generations. So the demographic element is huge. If I look at the Forbes, one of their major programs is top 30 in business, uh, top people in business under 30, sorry. And their CEO was commenting the other day that that demographic is massively linked to purpose and they see it in all the business plans that come through from the under 30s. They're all linked to making a bigger impact giving back to society, wanting to do something more meaningful for themselves, but, but also for society. And I think that big organizations cannot ignore that and should not ignore that as they bring that generation in. And to be fair, they're not ignoring it, but they don't know what to do with it. So if you speak to that generation or to people who have a very strong sense of purpose, they get demotivated by organizational silos, by the fact that you cannot get your ideas where you would like to get them by the fact that they're blocked by things that are not really linked to the purpose. So we're back to the codes of the organization, what level you are, who you can communicate to, when, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes when we see people who are extremely experienced and have a lot of knowledge about the system, and especially in large organizations, they can get quite cynical with the people who are under 30, who come fresh with lots of ideas. That's also one of the challenges. What do you think about that? So I agree. It's one of the challenges. I think we need to be careful not to get stuck in intergenerational stereotypes. 
types. So yes, it's about age because they've they've been in that organization longer. And however much we like to think that we stay out of the mold of an organization, you do, of course, get conditioned by the place where you work and live in inverted commas and, and the culture. You know, when I stepped out of a large organization, that's when I really, it really hit me. I was thinking, whoa, I didn't think I was that conditioned um, <laughs> by the cultural codes of where I used to work. And that was a very interesting experience for me. I just think the younger generations dare more because for them, it's their way of thinking, working. So why should they not bring that to work? And I think when you get grassroots momentum like that, of them joining together with like-minded people, then you get a real mix of ages. But I think what you're saying is true. They spend a long time in the organization and they become cynical. And I think that's the real difference is this generation will not spend a long time in the, gen- in the organization if they don't feel it fits. So, so a typical example that I can think of immediately that corresponds to what you're telling is people will no longer hide behind oh, that's how it works in this organization. Oh, that's how procurement is, or these are the constraints of it. So young generations, when there's grassroots innovation or grassroots thinking, they go out there and they find a way to move forward. They find workarounds and they create a sense of momentum, which leads to change in processes, change in way of working. Correct. And I think the grassroots momentum is great for viral change. I'm a big believer in viral change and I'm a big believer in walking the talk. And I think that type of movement within an organization can create sustainable change up to a certain level. Uh, You get to a level where then you need the executive framework for it to change the top level governance processing systems of an organization, which is often what's missing from sustainable transformation. So I think people who want to do something, who have a purpose, will push the normal standard ways of doing things and try and get them to evolve, which on an individual level can be satisfying. On a collective level, it's a larger piece of work and it's a larger piece of work around systems, processes, but also around mindset, which is why it takes a long time and you will get resistance. And then I agree with you, the sentence given for the resistance will be, oh, but that's not how we do it here. Okay, Mm. I hear you, but can we do it differently? And I think there's a push from people who, and I think digitalization has enabled this because it allows like-minded people to collaborate very quickly and to link on platforms that they don't necessarily have to be stood next to each other. And that is creating a positive momentum for me throughout organizations because it's crossing boundaries, whether they be geographical, whether they be about age, whether they be about where you sit, you know, anything like that. It crosses boundaries and um, gives you an end-to-end transparency that doesn't exist in the system. Brilliant. Yesterday, I met three people from the same organization and I asked them one single question to three different people. And I asked them, what is the single biggest challenge that you see in your organization in the next 10 years to reach the vision? Mm -hmm. And all three of them gave me the same answer. And they said, it's organizational politics. Which links very much back to the two discussions we're having. One is about purpose and one is Mm -hmm. about the way the system operates. So I think that those two ideas need to work together for organizations to be able to transform sustainably and allow people who have purpose to live their purpose and unleash their potential in the organization. Purpose comes from a place of courage. Yes. And not from a place of fear. And when we go to work from a place of fear, 
then our primary reason becomes money, security, and sustainability. Yes. And I think in organizations, there is a lot of fear. I think there's also a lot of courage. I think there is more courage than we think. But then I'm back to the same stumbling block of the cultural codes of the organization, which some people will dare to step over and others won't. And I think creating ecosystems within the organizational communities that will provide grassroots momentum to, hey, we could do this differently. Let's step out of the cultural code and try it differently, means that organizations will be pushed to evolve from the inside out. And I won't go into the outside external trends that are pushing them as well, but I think the inside out piece is very important. Excellent. So what's one advice that you would give to people who want to unleash their purpose and come from a sense of purpose at work? I think it's dare. Dare dare to do what you want to do and dare to suggest things that step outside of what exists today. I I think, you know, you you need to be reasonable in terms of your expectations. But I do think that you can find like minded people very quickly in an organization, people who are stimulated by creating something new, who have a purpose. It might not be the same purpose as as you, but they're very driven by that purpose. And I come back to the digitalization aspect, which allows us to enable platforming of ideas, thought leaders, and opinions. And I think you can very quickly make your mark on an organization. Now, I'm not naive enough to think you can change your organization and the way it works and the systems and the way all the leaders think. But Mm -hmm. I do think you can make your mark and become an individual agent of change and create a movement a lot more quickly than you could before. And I think that means that you have more and more people within the organization that want to change, have an appetite for change, that are thinking differently, that are creating different things. And that for me is the whole discussion around diversity and inclusion. So having diverse populations is great and it's very rich, but it's you only gain the momentum and the maximum richness out of that if you work on inclusion. And to come back to the organizational culture, the codes of organizational culture often create exclusive groups as opposed to inclusive groups. And that's the power for me of the community ecosystem part, which is very, very, very present today and needs to be more present inside organizations. I think that can bring masses of momentum for change. You see the same things outside externally with the gig economy and the way, um, the, way the markets are changing and the business models are changing. So I come back to my thing about inside out. You can be an individual and a collective agent of change at the same time. And from a personal perspective, that gave me a great sense of collective pride. And, you know, and making a difference is very, very satisfying. Thank you. That was very inspirational. And I see how each one of us can make the difference. Thanks very much for being here with us. And before we close the call, would you like to share one last message? Yes, I think don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. (laughs) Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to know more how you can meet your potential, check out www.meetmypotential.com. That's www.meetmypotential.com. Join us again. And until then, stay cool.